We're talking about the the mixtape era, the highlight era, Bo. And and I don't I don't. This feels terrible because I'm not trying to bash Bo Bo as a person or as a player, but these are are not the same. Watch Wimbenyama. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Kenny Beecham podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We got a very special episode. I personally didn't think that we'd be a couple days into the NBA season talking about an all-NBA 75 player, one of the greatest ever played, the guy that led the league in assists last year. I didn't expect him to get traded this fast. We knew that the James Harden trade was going to happen, but on Halloween, it happened. So today, you're going to get my take, my opinions, my grades of this blockbuster trade. But after, we talk about the goals of the Kenny Beachin Podcast. Yeah, I've mentioned it every single episode since the inception. Our goal is to become the number one basketball podcast in America. And I just checked it before starting up this recording. Guess what? We're number five. And we appreciate that. Like, it's hard to contextualize how cool it is to be the number five American basketball podcast. But that's not where we want to be at. We want to take that number one spot, so I need your help. If you're here on YouTube, leave a like on the episode. Subscribe to the channel if you're new around here. Go over to Spotify, to Apple, download the episodes, and give us five stars because we just want to go higher and higher and higher until me and Shannon Sharp are looking each other eye to chest probably. I don't know how tall he is, but I'm assuming he's taller than I am. And we, we can say that we took down that powerhouse. Need your help. All right, let's talk about the trade. Let's finally get it to it because that's, that's what you're here for, right? It is the morning going into Halloween. I personally work late hours. Like, it's pretty normal for me to be up at 1.30 a.m., you know, and that's when this trade was breaking. But for some reason this day, I was like, you know what? Let me get to bed early. You know, Halloween is the next day. We got to take the kids, trick-or-treating and stuff. So let me get in bed early. So I did. And then I'm laying in bed, turn the phone off to the side, and I see a buzz or I hear a buzz one time. No big deal. Then a second time. Then a third time. Then a fourth time. And I'm like, you know, what? I got to look at this. And it was the James Harden trade out of nowhere. So I kissed my wife goodnight and I said, I got to go to work. I went down to the office and I started to record. And then I realized we don't know the details of the trade. Wodes dropped this bomb and kind of disappeared. And we had to sit there waiting for, what, 30 minutes to figure out what the deal was, and there's a lot of moments throughout NBA history that is fun for Twitter. It's, it's not many that match up to the 1.30 a.m. NBA fans speculating about James Harden. So I do want to say shout out to Wodes for keeping us on the edge of our toes. You know, we've, we've become spoiled as NBA fans of that instant gratification of knowing exactly what every single trade was. When I was younger, we didn't even know trades happened until the next morning we loaded up SportsCenter. You know, so this was, <laughs> this was kind of that. So we find out that he gets traded. And if you've been living under a rock, I got the exact details. The 76ers received a 2026 first round pick protected the worst of the Thunder or Clippers pick. You don't really need to understand that because it's not extremely important in the moment. OK, they also get a 2028 Clippers pick unprotected, two second round picks, a 2029 pick swap, Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris Sr. Don't forget the senior and Kenya Martin Jr. On the other side, the Clippers received James Harden, who waived his $5.1 million trade bonus. So shout out to him for that. You know, generous guy, I guess. And P.J. Tucker and Philip last name. And Philip got flipped to the, the Sacramento Kings this morning. And then the OKC Thunder received a 2027 pick swap. This is a massive trade as far as how many pieces are moved. But there are a lot of different opinions about who won? Who lost? This GM got fleeced. This team went all in for no reason. And we got to tackle it a couple different ways. The lore of this James Harden part, it's interesting. 
James Harden is now entering his fourth team in 22 months. Those are Ish Smith numbers, y'all. And we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time. People like to look at what James Harden did in the postseason, and, and I understand why, and kind of use that to encapsulate him as a player as of right now. And again, I understand it, right? In the playoff run last year, he had two 40-point games, and everything else after that was really, really bad. But I do want to remind you, this guy was very, very close to making an All-NBA team in the regular season last year. He led the league in assists, and he was one of the catalysts as to uh, Joel Embiid winning MVP. He is an impactful NBA player, a really good NBA player in this time. June 30th, he opted into his contract and then immediately found out that the 76 is going to be looking for a trade for him. And that I was taken aback by that. He goes out on his tour where he's dropping wine overseas and stuff. And he says, Daryl Morey is a liar, which I think for majority of NBA fans that's really, really into the NBA was a surprise because Daryl Morey and James Harden have been like this. They've been best friends. They've been homies. When he was traded from Brooklyn to the Philadelphia 76ers, everybody's seen the video of him getting off the private jet and, and him and Daryl Morey embracing each other with, with like brothers. And just a year and a half later, he's a liar. And he said he'll never talk to that man again. We can all speculate of what he believes that Daryl Morey lied about. We may never really know whatever. So he tells the world, I will never play for another team that Daryl Morey is a part of. But obviously, it's not that simple. The NBA has become privy to all of this type of stuff because we've seen it in Philadelphia before where a player wanted out so much that he's like, I won't even report to training camp. I'm not going to hoop. I'm not going to do that. So the new CBA has a bunch of different rules that basically prevent players from holding out when they're under contract. So James Harden had to report to training camp, and he did. And, and we got bamboozled, y'all. There was all these, these reports. Tobias Harris is talking about how good of a, a teammate uh, James Harden was in that one day of training camp. Tyrese Maxey went on to Old Man in the Three to talk about the professionalism and all that. Just to find out James wasn't even there the full time. James only scrimmaged one time, but they kept it under the rug. They didn't want to say nothing terrible about their guy, which is understandable. Then the season starts. Another new part of the new NBA CBA is this anti-rest rule. And James Harden, because he has made an all-star game or an all-NBA appearance over the last three years, he's in this crop of guys that basically can't set out for rest very, very often. And then here we are a couple games into the season, and they said, you know what? We're going to do it. Daryl Morey had went on many, many talk radio shows to say, hey, we're not trading him for anything less than what we want. Right now, we want multiple first-round picks or Terrence Mann. And he walked out getting that. Now, some of these first-round picks may not be as valuable as the name. Anytime somebody hears first-round picks, it's, especially unprotected, you're like licking your lips, you're licking your fingers, like, oh, that's going to be juicy. Because Jalen Brown was once upon a time an unprotected first-round pick of the Kevin Garnett trade. We just need to do that again, you know? Um, and some of these picks, probably majority of these picks won't turn out to be anything super crazy, but that's not just what this is about. All right, this is not new in the NBA. Um, actually, I thought we were turning a new leaf a little bit when it came to these type of things into this offseason where we've seen players get traded and not necessarily. I feel like player empowerment is something that we've all dealt with over the last decade or so, but it felt like it had leveled itself out recently. But the way uh, Damian Lillard and James Harden situations ended up having, we're still at the peak. We're still at the peak of player empowerment. So I, I want to tackle this from both different angles, the two teams involved. Shout out to the OKC Thunder. You don't get a great. I'm sorry, you don't get a great because you have 17 first round picks in the next four years. You're fine. The uh, Sacramento Kings, you don't get a great because I don't know anything about Philip 
Protroscopy. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Good luck. But, but you don't get a grade. So starting off with the 76ers, I personally am going to grade this trade for them a good old-fashioned B. I think they did good work. And this is the, this is the reason I'm saying this. You had little to no leverage whatsoever in these trade talks. There's 28 other teams that could have been interested in James Harden outside of the Clippers and, of course, the team that he's playing for, the 76ers. And from our understanding, there was nobody else even involved in these trade talks. Even the teams that, oh, they might be listening, they might be trying to call, that got debunked immediately. So James Harden's avenue was either you got to report to the Philadelphia 76ers, slice them up, and go hoop, or you're going to be traded to the Clippers. And with them having 0-0 leverage, I think walking out with two first-round picks is a dub. Now, of course, like, like they said earlier, they would have wanted Terrence Mann too. But I see this as a win, not just because of the right now, because even the right now is kind of murky, if you ask me, but what it could potentially set you up for. Because when you think about the players that are involved in this trade, Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Moore Sr., and Kenya Martin Jr., none of those players are on guaranteed contracts going into next season. And also, since they traded away P.J. Tucker, they have up to $100 million in cap space this offseason. Now, I'm not going to act like this offseason, this free agency class has a ton of heavy hitters. It's like Pascal Siakam, Ojean Anobi, DeMar DeRozan, Klay Thompson. It's, these are not super duper star players. But cap space is not just for free agents. It's not just for free agents. I, I feel like a lot of people are looking at it like, okay, maybe they go get Ojean Anobi. No, they could use these picks, these players to go get something else. But but I, I digress. Let's, let's just talk about why, another reason why this trade ended up happening right now, and that is a lot to do with Tyrese Maxey. We mentioned on the last episode how good he's been. He's averaging 30.6 rebounds, six assists. He hasn't really turned the ball over. He, ha he has a perfect combination of speed, athleticism, and three-point shooting, where if you want to contest his three-point shot or you're, you're trying to outplay him in that aspect, he'll just blow past you. You try to play off, he will shoot over you. And now they're playing basketball dramatically different than last year. And this is something that I always like to look into when we talk about teams with new coaches, all right? Last year, the 76ers finished 29th and how often they ran offensive possessions off cuts, according to Synergy. This season, they're tied for seventh. It's a big jump. Last season, the team also finished 29th in dribble handoff frequency. This season, they are number one. Their offense has changed. Tyrese Maxey is now one of the guys getting the most amount of touches. And the former MVP, the reigning MVP, is playing some of his best basketball, especially as a playmaker. So it's like, okay, do we want to start accepting fines to have James Harden sit out? Probably not. Are we okay with just accepting some role players that might come in and hoop a little bit or we can flip a little bit later? Yes. Because right now, I'm going to guess their potential starter lineup looks like this. Maxi, Milton, Harris, Robert Covington is back, ladies and gentlemen. He was one of the first people a part of the process, and he's back. And then Joel Embiid. And now their bench actually is kind of decent. Patrick Beverly, Kelly Oubre, Marcus Morris Sr., who hasn't played yet this season. I don't, we don't know what version of him we're going to get, but let's just pencil him in right now as far as the, as far as the top 10 players. Kmar Jr. and Bebop Paul. Paul Reed. That's not too bad. Now, is it as good as the Bucks? Probably not, even though... The Bucs have not looked good so far. We might talk about that a little bit later. We might save it. I'm not overreacting, but uh, they're looking kind of rough through the first week and a half. 
it's probably not good enough to compete with the Boston Celtics, but it's good enough right now to maintain good regular season fortune, right? Um, good enough to be the third team in the East. Will they end up being third team in the East? I don't really know. But one thing we got it and we can't look past also when it comes to the timing of this is that this sets them up that if we get to the trade deadline, every single player that is involved in this trade will be eligible to be retraded. And again, this is these combination of salaries adds up to a max spot. So the question is, do they try to convince Joel Embiid to waste a year of his prime by saying, hey, we're just going to open up $100 million in free agency next season, and the next year is the one we're going to build? Or do they feel the pressure to go out and try to help him now because player empowerment? I find it hard to believe that they're going to waste a year of Joel Embiid's prime considering the history of Joel Embiid, considering the history of seven-foot players and how long their window is to being elite, elite. So I doubt they're going to wait until the offseason to make things happen. And that's why it's super fun to me. Because now I look around the league and try to figure out, okay, if they are trying to flip this exact package of three tradable first-round picks and salary filler, who are some people that could be interested in that? What teams might be sellers around February that they're just looking for draft capital and expiring contracts? Here's my crop of guys. The potential 76ers trade piece packages, right? Number one on the list is probably the guy that I like the most as far as fit goes. It is OG Ananobi. Now, prying OG Ananobi away from Masai Ujiri is like pulling teeth. The man wants 17 first-round picks. He, he wants to be the new Sam Presti. That has been the case over the last couple of years. But if the Toronto Raptors continue to, to be not great, let's just say that they had a very good win against the Milwaukee Bucks recently. So maybe things might be turning around. I don't know. But if somehow we get to February and they come to the realization that this core is not just not it, OG Ananobi is a guy that slides in perfectly as a dude that will not take the ball out of the hands of Tyrese Maxey because that is one of my biggest fears when we talk about getting a third star. Great defensive player and has showed that he can put the ball on the floor and create if he's given the opportunity. What is the price going to be? I don't know. But that will be one of the first teams I'm calling if I am in the business of getting that third star right now. And the good thing about this, it, well, double-edged sword. One of the potential good things about this is that OG Ananobi, if you trade for him, he's not going to soak up $100 million in cap. So maybe he's a Joel. We're going to get him now. He might help us do it now, but we're going to extend him in the offseason and we still got X amount of money to throw around. But the other side of that is, hey, he's a free agent. Why throw draft capital to get him right now when we can maybe convince him to just come early or I'm sorry, later? It's the good old fashioned Carmelo Anthony Denver Nuggets, uh, New York Knicks. Well, we knew Melo wanted to go to the Knicks. He was going to be a free agent, but they was like, we're just going to trade for him now. We're going to trade all the capital. We're going to trade Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, all of the other stuff. And they jumped the gun. And you know how that story ends. The second guy is the teammate of OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, another expiring contract All-NBA player who has seen his touches go down quite significantly through the first week and a half of the season. But again, maybe they're, they're gearing up because they just had a really good game against the Bucs where he hit multiple three-point shots. Yeah. Yeah, Pascal Siakam, stretching the floor, hitting threes. The next guy is the one that has been rumored the most, where if you look at the betting odds, a lot of bet people are putting money on Zach Levine being the guy. Here's why I don't like it. And I promise you, this is not my, my biased fandom as a Bulls fan coming into play. I don't love the fit with the backcourt of Tyrese Maxey and Zach Levine. I think Zach, Zach Levine is an improved defender compared to, let's say, three years ago. 
but he's definitely not the piece I would like to see alongside Tyrese Maxey. When it comes to scoring, hey, man, he's one of the best in the game. But for the Philadelphia 76ers, it's a, they need a little bit more than just a guy that can put up 25 on any given night. And I just don't like the defensive fit of that backcourt together because I think that they might get bullied quite a bit. I've seen Tyrese Maxey get targeted in the playoffs. And listen, Tyrese Maxey is a fighter. He's just undersized. I've seen Zach Levine get targeted in the playoffs. He's a fighter. He just doesn't do a great job. You know what I'm saying? So I don't love the fit. But as a Bulls fan, thinking about blowing it up does intrigue me just a little bit. The next guy is an expensive player. This man signed a $200 million contract this offseason. Um, former Damian Lillard teammate, Jeremy Grant. I think the fit of Jeremy Grant is pretty interesting. Now, he he's a guy that has been overtaxed a few times in his career as a dude that has looked to put the ball on the floor quite often and create for himself or his teammates. And I think he showcased the year in, in Detroit that he could do that, but to an extent. And I think he plays his best basketball when he's not the number one or number two option. And here he kind of fits in perfectly as a number three. I think defensively he has the versatility to be kind of rangy and can help the team out quite a bit. And then the last one is one that I personally don't like but a lot of people do. And it's Carl Anthony Towns. I don't like it. I don't know how anybody can watch the Carl Anthony Towns Rigo Bear experiment where Carl Anthony Towns is the four and say that they want to run that back, but instead of in, in, in being uh, Rudy Gobert, it's Joel Embiid. Uh, a little side part. Um, a couple nights ago, they blew a 21-point lead to the Atlanta Hawks. It's not anything new for them, you know, but... They have blown 18 different double-digit leads since acquiring Rudy Gobert. It's, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a Rudy Gobert problem because it's a team game, but that is an insane amount of blown games, ladies and gentlemen. Um, or actually, you know what? I'm going to take a step back. There's another name on my list. that It's probably the most unlikely of it because I can see a world where OG... Pascal, Zach Levine, Jeremy Grant, or Car Anthony Towns are available come February. This guy may be less so, but I think he is the perfect, and I mean absolutely perfect fit. It's just maybe unlikely. It's Mikel Bridges. Bring him home. You traded him away for Zaire Smith on, tra on, on draft night. His mom works in the organization, or at least used to. I I don't, I don't know if she still does. But at the time he was being drafted, his mom worked in the organization. Y'all shipped him away for Zaire Smith, and he is, Zaire Smith is out of the league. So that would be my group of guys that I'm potentially looking, looking into. Um, but I'm just curious about Joel Embiid and his patience. Because, again, he's a 30-year-old big man. And based on what he said this offseason about him wanting to win a championship, even if it's not in Philadelphia, he might come out on Twitter and say that he was trolling. I wholeheartedly believe that was true, that he honestly feels that way, as he should. You know, He's definitely not been the Joel Embiid we know he can be in the playoffs. But championships are championships. And I think he's a player that wants to compete. Um, at most right now, they can offer expiring contracts, three first-round picks, and a bunch of second-round swaps, which is pretty decent to some team, I would assume. When you trade away a star player, I think a lot of people want the draft capital and one young, talented player. Doesn't always work out that way. Time will tell. Let's shift it to talk about the Clippers because they got the all-star, well, former all-star. He didn't make it last year. Uh, they got the former All-NBA player. And now they have a new big three of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. I was, I was going to change the big four because of Russell. Russell Russell playing great basketball, but J James Harden makes it a big three. My initial grade for this is a B-. It's a B-. I 
I don't necessarily love it. Now, there are a few things about it that I really do love. The first one is I admire the fact that Steve Ballmer does not give a damn, you know, for good or bad. I just admire the fact that this team has spent 40 plus years of their existence being either really bad, cursed, or the little brother to the LA Lakers. And now, once you think about the trade that they did on Summer League, another trade, by the way, that happened at 1.30 in the morning when they traded for um, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, because I'm just going to pair that together. That was an important part of their history. Even if this never ends in a championship, the Clippers have never been as relevant as they were then and as they are right now. Even in the Lob City Clippers days, they weren't as relevant as they are right now. So Steve Ballmer, congratulations. You got you, you went all in at the expense of like, you got no first round picks to 2030. That's kind of, when you think about that, 2030, you know, 2030. I, but I, I, I admire it. They went in two times in four years. Because the Shea Gills, Alexander, all of the draft capital, all the swaps is still kind of, whew, especially when you watch what Shea could do now. But given what was going on, the landscape of the NBA then, that was so, I'm going to say that's so much worth it. Now, revisionist history is going to say, well, Shea is a dog. And in 2023, you can argue that Shea is a better player than, than both of those guys at the moment. But still, there's been, the Clippers have been a team that over the last four seasons, I have picked twice to make the NBA Finals. I have been a believer in the Clippers, mostly because I believe in Kawhi Leonard come playoff time. And in this era, they have one conference finals appearance, which is dope. A lot of teams don't have that, but that's it. And these are two players that, as we know throughout history, they struggle to stay healthy, especially when it matters the most. The one year they made it to the conference finals, Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL on a Joe Ingles play. And even to this day, Joe Ingles checked into the game the other night, Orlando Magic versus LA Clippers. He got booed as if, I, I don't know, that he did them dirty. And I mean, I guess you can argue that he did. Um, but that was the closest they ever been. And to have another opportunity to, I guess, double down, I admire. The question is, is this the double down that makes the most sense? Right? And, and that's why I'm giving it a B minus because the fit of it is kind of clunky, clunky. Now, the one thing about this Clippers era or the Clippers in general, they've always been linked to point guards. The, the final thing that they've needed for this team is, is a guy that can set other people up. Just this offseason alone, they were linked to Drew Holiday after he was traded to the Portland Trailblazers. They made a trade for Malcolm Brogdon, and though he doesn't fit the archetype as a, a guy that sets people up, he's still a quality point guard. They made that trade. They accepted that trade and then fell out of it because of his back. And they were also linked to Chris Paul again. Like, they have been looking for a point guard that they can trust outside of having Russell Westbrook, who... Looks really good again. Shout out to Russell Westbrook. And they kind of get that. So I, I want to break down the things that I like about it versus the reasons why I'm, why I'm skeptical, right? In general, I like the increase in talent level. Like I mentioned earlier, James Harden is a really, really talented ball player. And as we know throughout the history of the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard era, we can't really write them in for 60 games every season, right? James Harden plays... And when he does play, he typically is good enough to carry an offensive load enough to win you a ton of regular season games. 
And I kind of had the same idea about the Lakers when they got Russell Westbrook. Remember that when Lakers got Russell Westbrook, everybody was so high about the Lakers because Russ can just carry a group of four random players to win a game. And then obviously that didn't work out that way. But James does the exact same thing right now. So that is another reason why I like it, just because he's a dude that could come in and help you win games. Last year, when Joel Embiid did not play, a small sample size of when Joel Embiid did not play and James Harden did, they were five and two. It's pretty good. It's pretty good to not have the MVP of the league playing and you still win five out of seven games. Like, I, I admire that. The playmaking aspect is also good, you know? The playmaking aspect is something they've been missing. The, the Clippers are ISO-heavy team. They just are. Over the entire Kawhi Leonard Paul George era, they finished in the top five majority of the years when it comes to total isolation or isolation frequency. They're an ISO-heavy team because they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard who can break down in defenders and do what they can do. But now having a guy that can set up other people is just a plus. Uh, what else? What else? In theory, in theory, this raises the floor of the Clippers, right? Can we agree on that? It raises the floor. And then lastly, I think they can formulate some really, really cool lineups now. Some really, really cool small ball lineups specifically. One of the reasons they made that conference finals push a few years ago was when they went to the small ball lineup and Terrence Mann was practically the stretch five and had to pull Rudy Gobert out of the paint, but Rudy Gobert didn't want to leave the paint and then Terrence Mann has a career night. They have the arsenal right now to run a bunch of different lineups that they can play small, whether it's P.J. Tucker at the five, which we've seen him do a lot, maybe not as good now as he was in 2021, but still can run some five. Kawhi Leonard can run some five. And like one of the lineups I'm really, really excited about has in no specific order, but the five on the court, I want to see at least a handful of possessions. It's going to be James, Paul George, Kawhi, the penciled in three, Terrence Mann, Russell Westbrook. That has the, pot that has the potential to break barriers. We've seen James Harden and Russell Westbrook play together before. It didn't end great, obviously. Um, it was it was so obscure that Daryl Morey traded away every person that was over 6'6 to make it work. And it obviously didn't work. They got, I think they made it to the second round in the playoffs. They beat the OKC Thunder, if I'm not mistaken, on the Lou Dort block shot from James Harden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the things I did like about that was watching Russell Westbrook play, I'm going to say the Bruce Brown role where he's cutting, he's setting screens as a guard and getting to the basket. Like that's where Russell Westbrook can hold his most value here with those type of lineups. Um, so that those are the reasons why I like it. Here's why I'm skeptical. James Harden is a player that his play style has followed him every single place. And now this is not like some small sample size. Like I said, this is his fourth team in 22 months. We've seen it, of course, with Houston, where he was one of the highest uses players of all time. And guess what? It resulted in an NBA um, MVP award. I'm not discrediting that whatsoever. We saw it in Brooklyn. We saw it in Philly, specifically after the All-Star break last season. And it's just, I don't know if he would be able to adapt. This is one of those moments. This is one of those trades where you don't want to adapt your team to fit around him, but it should be vice versa. And we've seen pockets of time where James has changed his play type to fit the people around him, specifically in the first couple months of Brooklyn. And then eventually, due to stuff, due to Kyrie not playing this amount of games, they have the games, it, back, it revolted back to, I'm James Harden. I'm one of the top, I don't know, three to five ISO players ever. So I'm going to just get into my bag. And with the Clippers, I don't think they should be changing 
the way they hoop in order to fit him. I mentioned, this is an ISO-heavy team already. But now we're going to add three? Three ISO-heavy players? That just feels like one too many. What is James doing when it's not his turn? Can they, during the season, change it up where it's not his turn, my turn, my turn? I don't know. James last season was a 38% catch-and-shoot player on like 1.8 attempts. It's not a crazy value, but James is a great three-point shooter. So can we make him more of a threat when he doesn't have the ball? What happens with Paul George, who's playing at an all-NBA level right now? When you have this many talented creators, uh, ISO creators, somebody's going to get the short end of the stick. I don't want it to be Paul George because Paul is playing great ball right now. Somebody's going to have to take a, ba- a, a theoretical backseat, and I just don't want it to be one of the two guys that are there already. If anything, James should be like this, this hired gun, playmaker, set people up type dude full time. Again, we've seen him do it before. This man, Joel Embiid, just won an MVP award, partially on that, where James and his pick and roll was elite. He got Joel Embiid the ball exactly the way he, wa- he wanted to every single possession, and it, it, it really helped Joel Embiid grow as a player. But then it changed. Doc Rivers, since he's been fired, has been doing a podcast tour. He's been talking about it, being candid about it, talking about how once we got past the All-Star break last season, something switched in James because he wasn't officially announced an All-Star. He's like, hey, I'm going to do me. And and the exact quote um, had to do with, with them playing a certain type of ball that Doc Rivers said this is the way we think we can win. And James is like, nah, nah, nah. I got to do me because this can help us win now. And again, to James's credit, they helped them win a bunch of regular season games. Right? Here it is. This is from Doc Rivers. It was challenging. More because we were fighting two things. And not like visually fighting. It was James is so good at playing one way. And the way I believe you have to play to win in some ways is different. That is directly from Doc Rivers' mouth who coached James last season. It's just very, very interesting. Um, I, I do question their wing depth just a little bit. Another reason why I'm skeptical, um, just because right now it is basically Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, who's like this hybrid play every single position is set for the five probably, and then P.J. Tucker. Um, so they maybe are missing just, just a little bit. Um, also, when I look at them and look at their the teams that they have to go through to win the NBA championship, do I believe that this trade that they mortgaged every single first-round pick to 2030, do I believe that this trade makes them better than those teams? I don't. I don't think if we got to a seven-game series between them and Denver that they're beating Denver. I honestly don't, can't say comf- comfortably that they'd be beating the Lakers in a seven. I can't say comfortably that they'd be beating the Suns in seven. I can't say comfortably they'd beat the Warriors in seven. So if I don't have the confidence, again, this is based on not seeing a single second of the game. If I don't have the confidence in them beating those teams, then I just can't say that they're going to win a championship. This is my initial reactions without seeing a single second. And because this podcast is two times a week, Thursdays and and Mondays, We're going to be talking about them a lot over the course of the season once we finally get to see James in his role and once we finally get to see all of the things on the court. Because what I'm saying right now could be false, right? He could fit like a glove in this world. 
I don't know. But based on his history and the history of the Clippers and the rest of their roster, I just don't look at them and say, that's the team that I'm picking to win the West. And when you trade all of the first round picks for the next almost decade, that's typically something that you want. And I wonder if I asked 100 NBA fans post James Harden being traded, who do you think is going to win the West? How many of them do you think is going to say the Clippers? Is it 20%? Is it 10%? Is it 50%? I don't think it's that high. I don't even know if 20, 20 might be a stretch. So if you go all in for 17% of the votes of people believing in you, was it worth it? I don't know. And that's why I gave it the grade that I did. This is an open dialogue, though. You know, the comment section is always there. You can hit us up on Twitter as well. You can use hashtag AskKB if you want to be featured in the next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, we got questions from the audience. The first one comes from Johnny. Game and watch. What players and teams have the most pressure this season? I think the Clippers are under the most pressure in all the basketball. I thought they were under the most pressure before the James Harden trade. And so you can imagine how much pressure I believe that they're under now because a, we have player options of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And from our understanding, there has not been a lot of conversations about them being extended. And again, all of the first round picks, all of the capital um, being thrown at them. So it's like, if you don't win that championship, uh, I, d I don't really know. Another, I, I don't even want to say team, but another organization under the pressure is the team that made the trade with the Clippers. I can't, we can't look past the fact that we have Joel Embiid, the MVP of the league, and uh, the team around him is not good enough to win a championship at the moment. How long will he wait in this current era? And for the rest of the league, I, I, I don't know if there's a ton of pressure. I mean, you can argue that the Suns, of course, have a lot of pressure because of also how much they gave up to make this core happen. But these players are under contract for the next couple seasons. Um, I guess it's just like, what is Kevin Durant's timeline of still looking like an elite level player? I guess that's their pressure. But if they don't win a championship this year, I don't think it's a complete failure because they're going to run back the exact same core and maybe switch some things up around the edges. I kind of look at it as far as, as far as pressure goes. I look at it and think, which team, if they weren't successful now, will be in trouble, right? I think that's the way you could kind of look at it. Um, and it's not, I don't think there's a ton of teams currently under a ton of pressure. I think the Lakers are under a decent amount of pressure too when you have an aging guy in LeBron James where even though he's basically been a cyborg for the last 21 years, we know that father time has not lost the battle completely. I mean, right now he's against the ropes against LeBron, but I believe that it's just going to happen. Um, the, the Beats commercial that they dropped with Savannah, when she was commentating, uh, tell them that you won't retire until you play with your son and then tell him again. Hard, hard quote, Savannah. Like, imagine if he did end up playing with Bronny and Bryce Maximus. Because Bryce is one of those names that you got to say to Bryce Maximus. You can't just say Bryce. Um, but also, he is, you, you can start, you're starting to see days. We've seen it over the last couple of seasons. Even this year, he's just not the same player. And it doesn't mean he's bad, but he's just not the Bron that we've seen three years ago when they won the championship. So I think they're under a good amount of pressure. The Atlanta Hawks are under pressure to a lesser scale, not to win an NBA championship like some of the other teams we're talking about, but to convince themselves that this combination of DeJounte Murray and Trey Young is worth it. Um, just because you extended DeJounte Murray, you gave a lot of money to Trey Young. You gave up three first round picks to make this core happen. And through their existence, it hasn't been great. Luckily, they're on a three game streak right now. So they're starting to work a little bit, even though Trey Young has yet to give us like a real, really good Trey Young game. But like the other teams across the association, I don't see a ton of pressure on the Boston Celtics currently. Um, I mean, I can I can understand why you would, 
but it also feels like their core because this is their first year working together and majority of them, if not all of them are under contract for the long term, that it's not a mental amount of pressure to win this year. They are still my favorite to win the Eastern Conference. They've looked crazy. They won a game by 50 points today. Like, what are you supposed to do about that? But I think that might be it as far as pressure goes. Maybe, maybe on a lesser scale, the Cleveland Cavaliers, because of all the noise about Donovan Mitchell in New York, and he just played at Madison Square Garden, and he was smiling the entire time after, I think he had, what, 25 points in the first half, and it didn't score again until the fourth quarter. So he just loves Madison Square Garden. He loves New York. So maybe there's a little bit of pressure on them to kind of maintain him. But that's kind of it. I think everybody else is just here for the vibes, man. I think everybody else is here for the vibes. All right. Next question comes from Exaggerated History. Ask KB. Remember to use hashtag ASKKB. Um, am I crazy to think that the Suns will regret the Kevin Durant trade if they don't win the chip this year? So he's actually going into pressure like our last uh, comment. They gave up a lot for him and he isn't getting any younger. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going into basically the point that I made um, about the only pressure I could see about them is Kevin Durant's youth or lack thereof. Um, but th this is why I disagree with a lot of people when it comes to something like this, because I think majority of people, again, going back to the Clippers trade with Shagus Alexander and all of the picks, like when you look at it now, that pick, I mean, that trade is crazy considering so far the Clippers have not won a championship and Shea Gears Alexander is an absolute stud and then you gave up all the draft capital and stuff. But even then, when we look at it years and years later, I can't say that there's probably regret from the front office, right? Because in the moment, in the moment in time, it just made so much sense. You know what I'm saying? And I think that ooh, let's let's get let's get deep on on each, on each other. Ooh. Um, re regret is just not a good thing. I think that if you just think about regret, especially in a profession of building teams and stuff, you will never ever ever do it to win. You would never take the chance. You know what I'm saying? If you just thought, if you just thought about regret, you start about regret. Oh man, we're gonna be trading Eric Bledsoe plus three first round picks for Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday ain't been an all-star in six years. Ah, we might regret that in a few years. Champion. Oh man, uh, should we should we give $140 million to Michael Porter Jr.? He's got all his back injury history. Uh, do we just let him go? Champion. Like, there's just so many decisions, these, these crossroads in NBA history that fear can prevent you from doing the thing that you want to do the most. So I think even if the Suns don't win a championship in the Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal era, they're not going to look back and say, man, we shouldn't have made that trade. Because the alternative of keeping Cam and keeping Mikhail and keeping the first round picks and stuff, I, I think the alternative doesn't ultimately win a championship either. Unless you're saying that you're using that exact same trade package to go get someone else. And now we just live, live in a fairy tale world at that point. So I just don't look at it as far as regret goes. Some trades, I feel like in the moment, they're just bad trades. And I look at those different. You know what I'm saying? We're referencing again. The Kevin, Garden, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Brooklyn Nets. Go, go read up on that trade. I, I, in the moment. And I was a shorty. In the moment. And this was before draft capital was even a huge thing. Crazy trade. And there's a few of those throughout NBA history, you know? Um, and I don't think the Kevin Durant trade is one because he's, he's, Kevin, he, he's Kevin Durant.
So the other day, the San Antonio Spurs had a huge comeback win against the Phoenix Suns. And in this game, Keldon Johnson had a crazy play, took the ball away from Kevin Durant, led it in the bucket. Of course, we're talking about Wimby versus Kevin Durant, which is an anticipated matchup for me because we're talking about two super skinny archetype players going head to head, one the future, one the current slash the past. I was just happy about it. I was excited about it. I know they play different positions, but I was, I was hype. And after this game, a nationally televised game, Shaquille O'Neal, one of the greatest to ever do it, said this. He's never seen a guy like uh, Wimby on it. Yes, you have. His name is Bobo. You think Wimby Bobo? Hold on, hold on. Let me finish my point. Are they both black or something? No, 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 let me finish my point. Wimby on is just way more consistent than Bobo, but Bobo is the okay. first. I, I seven agree with you. First of all, that's not true. Wimby on is way, 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 way more consistent than, than Bobo. He's only played three games. No, he's talking about over his, his French league. And Are all you that comparing Wimby Yama to Bobo? Bobo is the first seven foot four guy that we've seen come out with yeah. the handle, shoot the threes. Yes. Y'all act, like, act like y'all ain't never seen a guy like that before. Bobo is the first guy. That's yeah, all I'm saying. All, and I stand on what I say. You can yell, bro. You can yell all you want. I'm I stand on what I say. I'm yell at you. I'm, I'm standing on what I'm saying. And okay, Kenny, well, you stand. You, and Kenny and Ernie agrees with me. No, Bobo I agree is the first guy. Lack of Bobo just don't play hard. That's all. Yeah, but wow. I'm just noticing everything. Yeah. I just realized that what Shaq's cup says, but first of all, I, Shaq, 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 look at his cup. Can yeah. you get a close-up on this? I don't even know like, what you're wait, talking. Where is all hey. these things that yeah. I have never I seen before, I'm like, popping hey, up? I have four rings. What about You're not really going to compare Bobo to Bumbanyama. Bobo's the first big guy with that 7-4 with handles that can shoot the three passing ability. Y'all act like y'all ain't never well, seen Well, no, I didn't say, no, no, I didn't say not going to seen The first time well, I ever seen it was... played like no, him. I, I, seven no, 7-4. No, I said, I said Ralph Sampson. 7-4. Ralph Sampson didn't dribble like this kid. If, yeah, if he no, was he playing nope. in this era, he would dribble You don't know thing. that. Stop because it. in our era, he was doing regular crossovers. And that was yeah. the first guy. Let me just say something. I will say, Shaq, I did like his pitch because there's two problems I had with him in the first half. Number one, he's really lackadaisical. You see those little passes? They might work over in the French League. They're not going to work in the United States because the guys are too good. You got to quit. You got to be aggressive when you make pass out of double team. And Shaq had a great point. I mean, that other point, other point about Bo Ball, I don't agree with that at all. And I want to praise Shaq to start off with. He invited me on his podcast a few months ago. Great time. Every time I've seen Shaquille O'Neal, I've expressed to him that he's one of my five favorite players to ever play the game. He is the most dominant player I've ever seen with my own eyes. But Shaquille, you're bugging. You're bugging. This is a take from, from, from someone that I believe have not watched enough Bobo or Victor Wimbenyama. This is also a take that I've seen outside of Shaquille O'Neal. Tim Hardaway Sr. said a very similar thing. And we're talking about NBA, NBA Hall of Famers, NBA legends having this take. And then Twitter went rapping. Twitter went crazy with everybody giving their opinions about Bobo versus Wimby. This is not a conversation, ladies and gentlemen. We've seen a four-year sample size of Bo Bo's professional career. I won't mention Oregon. I didn't watch him at Oregon. I know he deal with injury and stuff, but looking at the, the four-year sample size of Bo Bo, these players, the only similarities they have is that they're tall and have put the ball on the floor once or twice. That's it. That is completely it. And I saw a lot of conversation about, well, well Bo Bo just haven't been given the opportunity. Where have you been? It's been four seasons, three teams. 
And this is something my grandpa used to say all the time. If it smells everywhere you go, you might want to check the bottom of your shoes, man. If you play for three different teams, three different organizations, and you've struggled to get PT on every single one of them, that doesn't seem like politics. And I know there's politics in basketball, but do they carry? You got to be the most unlucky player in history. People fall in love with the highlights of Bobo, but never really sat down to watch multiple games of him. On July 4th this year, Bobo was waived by the Orlando Magic. And Twitter went crazy. But you know who didn't go crazy? Orlando Magic fans. Because they watched that man play every single game last season. And they recognized the, the many so small moments of, of greatness. But for every moment, there was multiple of misrotations, bonehead turnovers, and so on and so forth. So I just, I just could just understand the people that believe this just haven't watched enough Wimby. And haven't watched enough Bo Bo. We're talking about the, the mixtape era, the highlight era, Bo. And, and I don't, I don't, this feels terrible because I'm not trying to badge Bo Bo as a person or as a player, but these are, are not the same. Watch Wimbenyama, the way he moves on the court, the way he impacts defense outside of looking at block numbers, because Bo Bo can get you a block. Best believe he can get you a block. Look how he impacts defense. The Spurs. This season, in the, what, four-game sample size, when he is off the court, they are one of the worst defensive teams ever. When he's on the court, they have a top 10 defense. One player. That impact. Watch him get the ball in the post. Watch the way he moves. This is not the same. And I promise you, if the Spurs decided to start Trey Jones or go out to get a guy that can set Victor Wembanyama up, this conversation would die immediately because I've watched every single game of Victor Wembanyama's NBA career so far. He's not getting the touches he should because he's not being found. The man is running like a gazelle streaking up the court and he's not getting the touches. So I just can't look at the sample size I have of Bobo and me watching him and the, the smaller sample size of Wimby and even think it's the, even close to the same. A couple years ago when he played for the Denver Nuggets, they were desperate. No Michael Porter Jr., no Jamal Murray. They needed bodies. Bobo was getting DNP coaches' decisions. Last year, he played for the Orlando Magic, who were bad. The people in front of him were Mo Bamba and Mo Wagner. He struggled to keep his spot, man. Like this is this is real. And I know he's had he's had weeks. He's had weeks where he was brilliant. Hell, I had him in fantasy for one week. He won me an entire week in fantasy last year. But I can't look at that week, uh, that small sample side of four games and say, yeah, him and Wimby are, are, are the same. We've seen them before. So Shaq, you know I got number love for you if somehow you find this clip. Nothing but love for you. But this one ain't it. This one's just not it. Let me reintroduce producer Greg to the show for a segment we like to call, Will It Happen? Greg, how you doing? I'm good, Kenny. I'm good. Ready to do this. Let's get it. Will someone score 70 plus points in a game this season? Ah, 70 plus points. We saw it twice last year. And Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard in that order. 
I, I, I can't say it, but we have seen a 50 piece through the first three days and a 49 piece. I guess it's the way basketball is going. But if I had to bet yes or no, I'm going to say no. Will a team win 60 plus games this season? It feels easy to just immediately smash the absolutely. We've always had a team to win 60. Dating all the way back to 1979, we've had at least one team win 60 games every single year. This year, the parody just feels real, man. If there was one team, I think it's for sure, it might be the Celtics. They're just dominating everybody. So you know what? I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna change my answer on the fly. I'm gonna say yes, and it will be the Celtics. Will a team with a bottom eight record last season make the playoffs this season? So the, the teams that we're picking from are the Detroit Pistons, the San Antonio Spurs, the Houston Rockets, the, the Charlotte Hornets, the Portland Trailblazers, Orlando Magic, Wizards, and Pacers. That, that's, our, that's our bottom eight last year. I think the team that has the highest upside to make a playoff appearance is the Indiana Pacers. And I'm saying that they after, they lost by 50. They were missing their all-star. Don't worry about it. I think they might have the highest ceiling of those teams. But there are a few here. Like, I want to say Detroit, but I just don't think they're ready. I, I want to say San Antonio because of Wimby, but I just don't think they're ready. So I'm going to say yes, and it will be the Indiana Pacers. And lastly, will someone get 22 assists in a game this season? But before you answer, I'm curious, why the number 22? The number 22 is because we've seen multiple players over the last couple of years get up to 20, but it seems like 22 is the most we can get to in recent NBA history. So we're looking for somebody to break the current, not the current record of Scott Scouts 30, but the most recent record of the last couple of years. And because it's been so hard for somebody to achieve this, I'm just going to strictly say no. You, it has to be the perfect scenario to even get to 20, in my opinion. And now we're adding a couple more. Your teammates have to be firing on all cylinders or you have to have the greatest pick and roll duo in the history of ball. So I'm going to say no. I, I still don't even understand how Scott Scouts got up to 30 that one game. I want to say thank you to you for watching or listening to this entire episode of the Kenny Beachin Podcast. If you got to this point, I, I got to say, you must have enjoyed something. Whether you agree with the take or you disagree with the take, you watched and listened to the whole thing. So I would love for you to leave a like, subscribe, give us five stars. And by next time, hopefully, we're at least at number four. I'll see y'all in a few days. Mm -hmm.